0: verses 4 to 11 in 1 Thessalonians 5. That should be on page 836, I believe, in most of the seat Bibles, if you're using one of those Bibles. And to start this morning, I've got a question for you about this picture. Not that one. My slides aren't in there? Okay. All right, so let's see. So picture a glass, and it's approximately 50% full of water. Okay, So you got that pictured in your mind? So here, here's the question about that glass that, that you have pictured in your mind. Is that glass half full, or is it half empty? <laughs> All right, here's another question. Think about that person who's been bugging you lately. You, get, you got their picture in your mind? Uh, maybe they've been annoying you, maybe they've been making you really angry. If you stop and think about that person, there are probably good things about that person as well as bad things. I, I don't know if you can see both, but I'll bet that they're both there. And so here's the question. Can you see the good things or can you only see the bad things? Is the glass half full or is it half empty? Or how about this one? Community Bible Church. You can picture that. Them, right? Us. Again, we've got good qualities and we've got bad qualities. Which do you see? Which do you focus on? Is the glass half full or is the glass half empty? Or let's do one last one. How about our country? Again, there's good and there's bad. Which are you focused on? Is the glass half full or is the glass half empty? Here's been my experience with the, the proverbial half-full, half-empty glass. That some of us tend to be glass-half-full people, and others of us tend to be glass-half-empty people. This was evident to, to Anne and me when we first started dating. I'd look at a situation, and I'd see the problems, I'd see the negatives with it, and she'd see the positives with the same situation. We had different perspectives and I've learned a lot from her over the years about seeing the positive, and uh, I've learned a lot from others too. I, I remember one time when I was in seminary, I was in Greek class uh, with a professor who I'd also worked with as a TA organizing on-campus events, and so he'd gotten to know me a bit, and he was a very sensitive and discerning man. And, and one time after Greek class. I was asking him a question about some fine point of Greek grammar that I was confused about. And his answer wasn't clear to me or wasn't satisfying to me. And so I was pressing him to clarify. And um, he stopped and he said to me, you know, Dick, God has gifted you with the ability to see details, to be discerning, and, and to care a great deal about getting things right. And he said, I can see you put a good deal of pressure on yourself about that. And then he said, Can I give you some advice, though, when you graduate and you go out to be the pastor of a church? He said, Don't impose that pressure. Don't put that weight on the people in your congregation, you'll crush them. Be gracious to them, give them leeway. Don't be too hard on them in your expectations like your expectations for yourself. And it was really good and very insightful advice that I needed to hear and to take to heart. Because those of us who who can look at a person or a situation and we can instantly see all the ways the glass is half empty, we can be a gift. Our perspective can offer precision and clarity People like this often have beautifully decorated and spotlessly clean homes and cars and lawns. We keep our checkbooks balanced. We make great accountants, quality control inspectors, troubleshooters. And so we can be a great gift to society. But then again, we can also be critical and disapproving and discouraging of other people. And here's my experience and, and the experience of others who, who have had this tendency that this ability to, to, uh, this ability that we have to see what's not quite right, to see what falls short of perfect, it, it can be very hard for us to let go of. Once we hone in on that thing, we see that thing, we, we almost can't not see it. It can be very hard for us to stop analyzing, to stop caring, to stop focusing on what we want. And too often we just can't get past the fact that the glass is half empty. And, and do you know why I think we have such a hard time of lightening up and letting go? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> I, I think it's a form of control in many cases. At its root, at its base, it's, it's about us needing to be in control. We find security in, in maintaining a critical eye. Messes and imperfections, they stress us out. They make us nervous. And so we have a hard time letting go of our longing for perfection. We're afraid that if we don't keep seeing and caring about what's wrong, nobody else will do it. And the world will fall apart. Now, if this was just about us, this might be okay. We just have to live with the stress and with the weight of this. But, but it's not just about us. Other people are affected too. Often, in fact, usually, we wind up putting this stress, this negativity, on others. We wind up criticizing them, judging them and disapproving of. They have a hard time measuring up to our expectations or or feeling accepted, let alone delighted in by us. And yet Jesus' greatest commandment for us, for all of his followers, is what? Love one another. Love one another. And so if we're going to love others, we've got to deal with our critical spirit. As elders, we were, we were talking about this and, and we thought it would be good to have a reminder of the importance of encouragement. The importance of not criticizing, of not uh, discouraging others, but rather building them up instead. And, and as I was looking at some scriptures about encouragement, I discovered something surprising. That often the New Testament pairs together two thoughts. One, Jesus is coming back. And two, therefore, we are to encourage one another. This connection between encouraging one another and Christ's return, it comes up several different places in the New Testament. It came up in the scripture that Steve Morrow looked at with us last Sunday, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Listen again. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Did you catch that? Encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching, the final day, the day when Christ returns. We also find this same connection here in today's text. This is part of a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a group of uh, fellow uh, Jesus followers in the Macedonian city of Thessalonica. They were brand new disciples of Jesus. They didn't know very much about Jesus yet. And Paul, has he's not with them anymore, and he's heard through the grapevine that they are distraught. And the reason that, that they were distraught was that they had been expecting Jesus to come back very soon, and yet several of their members had recently died, and Jesus hadn't come back yet. And they didn't know what this meant for their dead friends. They knew for those who are alive when Jesus comes back that those people will be with Jesus and will live with Jesus forever. They knew that much, but they didn't know what would happen to those who had already died. They they didn't know if those people were lost, if they would miss out on the future that was to come when Jesus came back, and so they were understandably distraught. And Paul hears about this, and he writes to them to assure them that when Jesus returns, he will raise up his followers who have died, those who are asleep, so to speak, so they won't miss out on all the good things that happens when Jesus comes back. No, together those who have died will be raised up with those who are still alive at Jesus' coming, and they will all, we will all live together with Jesus forever. You can find all of that as Paul spells that out in chapter 4 of 1 Corinthians. But now in chapter 5, Paul turns to speak to those who are still alive, still awake, so to speak. He tells them, he tells us how to live since Jesus is coming back. And and we'll look at this shortly, but for now, just notice verses 10 and 11 of our, our scripture, chapter 5. He, Jesus, died for us so that... Whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. Notice again this connection. Whether awake or asleep, we will live together with Jesus when he comes back. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up. Again, a connection between Jesus coming back and us encouraging one another. And and this message is is important for all of us, but it's especially important for those of us. Now picture that 50% full glass again. Those of us who have a natural tendency to look at other people and to see the glass as half empty instead of half full. Because when we view people that way, the half-empty way, here's the result. We hurt them. We push them away. We discourage them. And we discourage and we hurt other people who we talk to about the people we're criticizing. We create an environment of negativity, of criticism, instead of an environment of love, of security, of upbuilding and edification. You know, I've I've had the experience of of having two people come up to me and give me a report of some church event that had happened. And the first person came up and told me how great it was. They they told me about the people who were impacted, uh, about how God had shown up and and what God had accomplished in people's lives. And, And by the time they were done, I was so encouraged about what God had done. And then I've had a second person come up and tell me about the very same event and, and list off for me all the things that went wrong. And all the problems there were and all the mistakes that the organizers made. And all of those things were true, no doubt. But let me ask you, which perspective, the, the half-full one or the half-empty one, creates an environment which is encouraging, which is motivating, which is hopeful, which builds up our faith and which spreads love? So let's focus on this passage now in 1 Thessalonians and see what it can teach us about the importance of encouragement. Here's the question I have about this passage and the other New Testament passages which connect Jesus' return and encouragement. My question is, what's the connection? (laughs) What is the relationship between Jesus coming back and our needing to encourage and build one another up? Well, i I pondered this a lot as I was studying this passage, and and here's what I think it is. We should encourage one another, because the glass may be half empty now, but Jesus is coming back to fill it all the way up. That's what we look forward to. That's what we remember and we celebrate at Advent. Jesus is coming back to fill up the glass. Whether it's that person, you know, picture them again. That person that you find it hard to accept and approve of. If that person is one of Jesus' followers, then Jesus is in the process of filling them up with his character, with his love. And whatever doesn't get done in this lifetime, Jesus will finish when he comes back. Or whether it's our church or any other church. Again, we're imperfect, But Jesus is working on us, trying to grow us, transforming us to be more like his vision of what we should be. Or whether it's our country, or in fact our world. Jesus is at work now, through his people, through his gospel, bringing more justice, more goodness, more love into this world. And again, whatever doesn't get completed in this age will get completed when Jesus returns. Jesus is coming back to fill all things full of goodness and love and truth and beauty. And so we are to focus on this fact of Jesus' filling and not on what is still empty. The way Paul puts it in our passage is to encourage us to think in terms of day and night, darkness and light. He says there are two kinds of people. There are day people and there are night people. There are light people and there are darkness people. And and what does he say darkness people do? What do people do at night? Well, they sleep and uh, sometimes if they're up, they party. They get drunk. (laughs) Either way, people like that are not alert. They're not aware. They're not prepared for what's coming. They're not alert. So they, they don't believe or remember that Jesus is coming back to fill the glass. And so they live maybe to get as much of, of this life's fullness as, as they can get in this life to get their share. Or, or maybe they, they live in discouragement. They live in cynicism in hopelessness about all that's empty and all that's lacking. But Paul says that's not how light people live. That's not how people of the day live. No, day people are awake and alert and fully aware and expectant that Jesus is coming back. Paul, by the way, is alluding to a parable of Jesus here. Uh, uh, Jesus says in Luke 12, I'll I'll read it for you. He, He says, be dressed ready for service and keep your lamps burning. Like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet. So that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve and will have them recline at the table and will come and wait on them. Paul wants us to be like those servants, awake, alert, anticipating that our good master is coming back as from a wedding celebration, eager to throw a party, eager to fill our glasses full. And so we live in light. We live awake. We live full of hope, full of faith and expectation of what Jesus is going to bring about when he returns. Then in verse 8, Paul describes how day people, how light people are supposed to live. He, He doesn't want to take time evidently in this letter to to spell it all out in detail like he does in other places. So he just sums it up here in uh, 1 Thessalonians with three of his favorite qualities, faith, hope, and love. Verse 8, But since we belong to the day, he says, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Faith, love, and hope. Put them on, Paul says, like armor. Be clothed in them. Let them be your protection and your equipment. Faith. Those with faith don't need to criticize other followers of Jesus. Because they believe Jesus has washed away all those other sins. Called them holy. Accepted them as God's own beloved children. And whatever Jesus doesn't finish in this lifetime in terms of making those people like Christ, Jesus will finish when he returns. That's faith. So why criticize what's still not perfect when you can encourage? Reminding others of all Jesus has already done and is doing and will do. Why focus on the bad news when you can be good news people, gospel people, and love? Love doesn't want to criticize others because love is patient. Love is kind. It wants to build up, not tear down. Love wants to celebrate people, to delight in people, and, and to correct them only with affection and only when we sense it will be for the other person's good. And then hope. Hope wouldn't criticize because it's focused on all the good that's ahead when Jesus returns and fills the glass full. I love the way E. Stanley Jones, who was a missionary to India, put it. He he was talking about the early believers in the book of Acts. And and I've shared this quote before. He He said, they did not say in dismay, look what the world has come to, but in delight, look what has come to the world. Right? We read in the book of Acts, they were people of light. People of the day, people with hope, because as dark as their world was, they knew Jesus is coming back to fill up the half filled glass. Again, they were good news people, they were gospel people, they were full of hope and expectation. That's why Paul concludes by urging the Thessalonians therefore, encourage one another and build each other up. Don't be a spokesperson for the darkness. There are enough naysayers and warriors and nitpickers who can only see that the glass is half empty, who who would rather curse the darkness than light a candle. We don't need more discouragement. We who are awake, who know that Jesus is coming back, we have every reason to be hopeful, to be joyful, and so to be encouraging to one another. Because we've been given so much, so much love, so much grace, so much meaning and purpose. And there's more coming, much more, when the one we love comes back to fill up the glass. So we've got so much reason to encourage those around us. In his book, Boyhood and Beyond, Bob Schultz tells a story from the summer that he and his friends, that he uh, he and his friend Doug were camp counselors. He writes, For many of the high school students at the camp, this was their first time outside a city. Without streetlights, neon signs, and large buildings to light up the night, it was dark in the woods. If it weren't for the little cabin lights and the campfires, the total darkness would have overcome those city kids with fear. The campers slept inside cabins all week except for the last night. Imagine, uh, or rather, everyone imagined the fun that they would have that night, singing around a bright, crackling campfire. Rumors flew about roasting marshmallows, eating thick, tasty stew, and sleeping in a makeshift lean-to on the last night. Late in the afternoon on the final day, five different groups loaded their belongings on their backs and hiked to their camping spots. That evening, Doug and I decided to tour each camp The first campers excitedly offered us some of their tasty stew. There was a buzz of activity. Some chopped wood, some arranged supplies, some played. Spirits were high with this grand event. The camps radiated with the light and cheer of a blazing fire. Happy chatter echoed far down the trails. But where was Camp 5? We knew where it was supposed to be, but we couldn't see any fire nor hear any chatter. Entering a clearing, we heard faint whimpers and sniffs. Our flashlight beams exposed the faces of 12 scared girls. They huddled together, wrapped in blankets. Unable to start a fire, the happy camping night turned into terror. Afraid of snakes, no one wanted to go for help. Their only action was to cry. Doug scrounged up some paper and some kindling. He took a match from his pocket and struck it on a rock. Just the light of a match seemed to bring hope. Within minutes, his cheery fire changed the atmosphere. Tears dried, sighs relieved the tension. One girl straightened up the bedding, another got out some food. First, we heard a little humming, then a stanza, and soon everyone joined in a lively camp song. A crackling fire changed gloom and despair into hope, laughter, and the smell of stew. Then Schultz concludes, for many people, the world is a dark, fearful place. They fear that evil is in control or that life happens by chance. Many wander without purpose, afraid that the worst is just about to happen. Some people live in gloom because they're selfish. Discontented people live in self-made darkness. But that's not what God wants for his people. We're to be people of light. After all, Jesus is coming back to fill the glass full. That's why we're to encourage one another. I've been working on this on and off for years to be a glass half full person and not a glass half empty person. Over over the past year or so, I've been working on it again, particularly trying to live out What Paul says over in Philippians 4. Anne had been reading this with the kids, encouraging them in it, and I took it up as a challenge as well. Whatever is good, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And here's what I've discovered what you focus on determines your perspective. If you focus on the negative, you see what's wrong and what's bad and what's fearful all around you. But if you focus on the positive, you come to realize just how much goodness and beauty there is all around you and how much more there will be when Jesus comes back to fill the glass full. So here's how I suggest we celebrate the rest of Advent this year. By encouraging one another. As the Carol, O little town of Bethlehem, puts it, Yet in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. Ever since that first Christmas that light has been shining on us, and it's coming one day in its fullness. And so, lest we forget, let's shine it on one another. Let's remind each other of the light. The glass is already half full, and Jesus is coming back to fill it all the way full. So, who can you encourage today? Who can you shine some light on? Can you write them a card? Can you give them a call? Can you have a conversation with them over coffee? I put some uh, stationery out on several of the tables out in the foyer. Why not pick up a piece and write someone a note before this morning is over? May we continue to be an encouraging church. Let's pray. God, thank you for good news. Thank you for hope. Thank you for light. Thank you, that. Jesus has come to set in motion what will eventually flower into fullness and be the renewal of all things. Thank you that in the meantime, we are light in darkness. Help us, Jesus, to do a better job of shining that light on one another. Amen.